the Mess It Up podcast, where we take your mess and turn it into a message. And now, here's Biker Chick and the Bowtie Guy. Hey, welcome to the Mess It Up podcast. I am the Bowtie Guy. And I am the Biker Chick. And uh, this is, uh, it's our big 20th show. Can you do 20 shows? Well, I that's can. like three and a half months, I think. That's I haven't crazy. done the math, but it's somewhere in there. No. It's more than that, isn't it? What? 20 is like four five? months, five months. Wow, yeah. look at us go. It only feels look at us like do four or something. Division. That's amazing. Um, hey, our word of the week this week is penitent. And penitent is a, a fancy word that means showing sorrow or regret for having done wrong. And um, sometimes it's associated with shame and whatnot. And the reason I chose that is because we have a guest host this week who is uh, from the Unashamed, Unafraid podcast, and uh, I want to introduce Stephen to you. Hey, how are you guys? We're doing good. And this is our first time ever working with big-time technology. So right now, Christina and I are in beautiful Southern California, and Stephen's calling from Utah. So there's there's a a time change between us, and when when I went to go log on, I had messed up the software, and I couldn't get the software, so Stephen is being a real mensch, and uh, he is recording this for us on his, software, or his computer, and he's going to send it to us, so we, we really appreciate, and uh, we're not ashamed to say that I messed up, uh, and I'm not afraid to say <laughs> that I messed up. Excellent. So, so that, uh, that, that. Now, we all have to look out for each other, you know? Exactly, exactly. We got each other's back. Right. Have you guys seen the little the stick figure shirt where the guy's holding a stick and he says, I got your back? One of my things. That is so funny to me. Yeah. Um, so, Stephen, would you just kind of give the people just a brief outline about um, your story? Yeah. Um, so uh, my story is, is one of, uh, you know, sexual addiction. Um, that's kind of been the cross I've borne, if I can use that word. So... Uh, a lot of my story is very similar to most men's stories that I hear that struggle with pornography addiction or sexual addiction. Um, so first ran into it as a kid. I'm 30 this year, so I was a, a child of the Internet. I remember in, like, elementary school, they'd send you the L-O-L-A-O-L, I can't even say it anymore, CDs that you would get minutes then to, like, oh, sweet, free dial-up, right? Like, when that was a thing. So Exactly. So, um, you know, got introduced to, you know, pornography that way. I I had some things in my childhood that were really tough, uh, neglect, some family issues, some sexual abuse in my family. And so as a kid, you just, you can't deal with all of that, right? Um, And so for me, the the escape, the reason I chose addiction was to kind of escape from that pain. And um, for some men, they kind of acted out with their friends. Everyone's looking at pornography that way. For me, it was always isolated. Um, Grew up in a very Christian home, Mormon home, and I'm still an active Mormon. And and so, you know, you do the whole Mormon mission thing. That's kind of a big deal. And, um, you know, in order to be doing that, you have to kind of be, you know, living a good, clean Christian life in order to kind of be ready to go. And um, I had had a whole slew of sexual experiences throughout high school. Um, And so I kind of wasn't exactly honest with my church leaders. Uh, I kind of, kind of said about some stuff, kind of did some repentance around some of the sexual sin, but not really all of it. 
um, you know, went and served that mission, which is a great experience. You're, you're just isolated, serving, testifying of Jesus, helping people. Um, it's a very humbling experience of Mormon mission, if you're familiar with them. And uh, it's two years long, so it's very in-depth. And I actually had a friend uh, that I met out there uh, in my mission, uh, and we talked kind of openly about these struggles we'd had with pornography and stuff. And uh, I, I, we both talked about it. I said, man, when I get home, this is never going to be a problem. And I, I came home, and I just had this love for God and um, just wanted the full life. And uh, just this isn't going to be a problem. And um, what I've come to learn is a very typical pattern is uh, it was probably two, two, three months back from my mission that I started viewing pornography again. And, uh, you know, masturbation comes with that. And um, I remember not really knowing what to do with that. I remember kind of this conversation with this friend and, um, you know, I called him and I was like, hey, this isn't going to happen. And I, and I talked to a church leader who really is a great guy. And he said, hey, you know, just you got to keep working on things. And if you have a problem, you know, come back and talk to me. And I kind of just gave me, I like to call it the try harder gospel. You know, just read more, pray more, exercise more faith, do more good things. You know, if you get tempted, just, you know, call someone, run somewhere, just all the basic answers, right? And um, and so I kind of use that as justification to say God knows I'm working on this, so I can just keep it a secret. This is between me and God. And at that point in my life, between me and God meant between me because I don't have a personal relationship with God. Um, so I started just kind of a huge dual life. Um, I did all the checkbox things. That was one negative message I got from the adversary as a kid was that if, if you perform, people will love you. That's how you get loved by people. So it's all about performance. It's all about everything you do on the outside. So I got married. I served in big leadership callings in my church. I was in a very dynamic, successful career. Um, I was a life of the party person. If you hear my wife tell the story, she'll be like, we'd go somewhere and he's the life of the party and then we'd get home and he's angry and depressed and checked out. And, and so my addiction just kept spiraling. Um, I've done a little bit of everything I tell people. So whether it's strip clubs or phone sex or, but the big one for me was prostitution. So I was managing a family business. Um, and so there weren't really any checks and balances. And so that's how I, kind of got away with it, if I can use those words. So high to my addiction, uh, the prostitution was happening every two to three months, and pornography and masturbation was happening like every day. And then I had this weekend um, where my wife was out of town. It was the first time I ever really had to sit in my addiction, and I had this grace moment with God that he's like, you know I'm real. You know Jesus is the Christ. Why are you doing this dual life thing? You know, there's a different way. And so totally grace moment there. Um, I don't think I'm any better than any other addict because I didn't get caught, um, but I, I decided to come forward. So recovery meant telling my wife everything. Um, I did almost every therapy thing you can think of. Um, and, uh, you know, that's been, that was April 2014 when I first came out with everything. Um, so, you know, across four years of kind of my recovery journey, um, and about two years ago, I decided to start on ashamedunafraid.com, the podcast, um, because the most helpful thing I heard, and, and me and Biker Chick talked about this 
you know, we were getting ready for the show was um, other men's stories. I heard some of these other men's stories, and they were, like, worse than mine. And I'm like, man, if that guy can find recovery, freak, right. I can find recovery. So, you yeah. know, I mean, I remember hearing some of these stories. The, the one story was a couple named Chris and Autumn. He actually helps me. Um, with Unashamed and Afraid now. And I remember they came and spoke, and I'm like, oh, his wife attempts suicide. This is when he turns around. Oh, nope, when he gets caught for the fourth time, that's when he turns around. Nope. I mean, it was like five different times that you're like, oh, this is it. This has to be right. where you turned around. And it's like, nope, he just kept going. Um, yeah. And then and now he's got 10 years of complete sobriety. You know, and so when I first met him, he had six at the time, and I was like, I, and they were so authentic when I met him. And so that's kind of how we got here. Excellent, excellent. And you you talked about going on the mission. How did your how did that play out with the lack of alone time? I mean, what what, um, what was it like that that time on your mission yeah. dealing with it? Yeah, I mean, so you you kind of get. Um, I mean, my denial was just so big that like and as a kid right like I wasn't walking around in high school being like I continue to seek out sexual experiences with random girls like this could be an addiction for me right like I'm not talking to anyone like right. just I didn't have some big conversation with my dad and you know or my dad was like son let me tell you the truth about sexuality in a completely educated and unshaming way um you know and so so for me you, you don't you don't like string all that together right um and so I never you know, I tell people both sides of my dual life were true. So I really did love God. Like, so out in my mission, like, I loved being there. I loved talking to people about Jesus. I loved doing service projects for people. Um, I masturbated, like, the entire time, um, which I just kind of told myself, like, wasn't a big deal. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm, that's not a big deal. And I hear other missionaries talk about it sometimes. They're like, yeah, this probably isn't right or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm not going there. Like, I just tuned it out, you know, denial. And um, so that's, that's kind of how I did it. You know, it, it wasn't, um, had a couple, uh, different occasions on my mission where I did, uh, see pornography and, and had that experience. But by and large, it, it just kind of, you're in a bubble, like he described it as a, as a Mormon missionary. And so being in that bubble, I, I, I really was just kind of a dry drunk, if I can put it that way. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. One of my favorite characters. The favorite drunks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, um, I'm going to, uh, take that. We're going to kind of segue into our song of the week this week. And then we're going to come back and talk about the podcast. But um, listener Mandy in Arizona said that she would go for anything from Chris Tomlin. And so I'm kind of doing her uh, request. But we're going to do Good, Good Father. But we're going to do the Zealand worship version of Good, Good Father because it's just a little bit of a different take on it. So uh, we'll be back after the break with uh, more from Stephen and uh, talking about this song, uh, but right now it's Zealand Worship with Good Good Father.
So uh, the thing I really like about that song is the upbeat peppiness of it. That Zealand worship is Phil Joel, who used to, well, play bass for the Newsboys. Um, and um, he just got some guys from New Zealand. They do some stuff. And I just love the peppiness. My son-in-law, Dave, hi, Dave, um, brought that song to me. And we just loved the little tweak on it that just kind of makes it a little bit less somber, a little bit more celebratory. Um, and I just... The first person who ever brought me this song, Good Good Father, was my wife, Bev. And she did it, and I was like, yeah, we could do that song, but I don't know it. You're going to have to sing it. So she sang it for us at CR. But I love the idea of God being a good father. And not just a good father, but a good, good father. He, you know, goes beyond. And it's it's easy, I think, to have a, a disconnect between God, the father, and just, you know, my dad, who you know, was my sperm donor kind of thing. And I love this concept of, of father and reminding me that God is that. Uh, but the thing is that I really like the love that's undeniable, that you can hardly speak and unexplainable and you can hardly think. Because I've had those moments. I always used to hear the peace that passes understanding when I was a kid and didn't have any clue until I felt it. And I was like, I can't explain this. I don't get this. Oh, wait. That's what this is. So that, that's what strikes me about that song. It's just always a good song to make me feel like, you know, things are going to be okay. Well, it's funny that you bring that up because the one thing that comes to mind when I hear this song is that God is the exact opposite of my earthly father. That I can rest in the fact that I have a father in God that is always going to be there, always going to love me. I am enough. I am everything that he loves in a child just by being me. And knowing that even though I don't have that in my earthly father, I still have that abundantly in my life. Mm -hmm. And this is a beautiful reminder to me of that exact concept. Yeah. Yeah. Anything special? Utah? No. Yeah, it's, I mean, I I love that song because it's, I mean, it's it's at the basis of what you guys are talking about, right? You know, when when you're a master, you've messed it up. God seems so distant, and and I'm a big John Eldridge fan, right? Wild at Heart and fatherlessness, and no matter what spectrum your dad was, you've got some fatherlessness and some things. And um, we and we talked about this both, Ty Guy, the movie uh, Heart of Man, and yeah, uh, in oh that God. movie, it's such a good movie. If you haven't seen it, immediately quit listening to this podcast and go watch it. No, just kidding. After you listen and subscribe, after you listen and subscribe. Yeah, I'm but um, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, but it in was there, a the, mind blowing movie, and I've had so many people tell me that afterwards too. We need to do a podcast about that one. That that is crazy good. So speaking of oh yeah, podcast, awesome. Oh. See that segue? That was good. Oh, I normally don't jump in like that. Yeah, it was excellent. So, yeah. So can you tell me what is the purpose for your podcast? What is the meaning behind it for you? Why did you start it? Yeah, so um, I, I was a big hip-hop listener uh, my whole life. I grew up on Eminem and Jay-Z yeah. and Dre and everyone. And so for me, I'm like, as I entered recovery, I'm like, I can't be listening to that, you know. MF these hoes, like, you just can't be listening to that, you know, and be like, well, I'm, you know, not going to have any lust in my life. And just and so I kind of had this gap, and then I found all the the whole gamut of, Christian hip hop to NF who is a Christian who's mainstream hip hop and to Lecrae and 
And, um, and so it's, I was listening to, you know, halfway through my recovery, I knew that I wanted to share men's stories and I wanted to kind of be this voice. And, um, and I had this song come to me, um, and it's a song of his called Outsiders. And he says, there's plenty of people like me, all outsiders like me, all unashamed and all unafraid to live out what they're supposed to be. And that's what gave me the title of unashamedunafraid.com. It's on the homepage because that, you cross this line with addiction, and particularly sexual addiction, it's so shameful. Like no one wants to admit that they have this going on. And so what I learned is I'm like, there's all these outsiders out here. There's all these people who really talk about it, who aren't afraid to talk about it, who have found recovery, men, their spouses, individuals, women who have struggled. I mean, there's just, there's just so many outsiders out there. Um, and so I really liked that kind of label, you know, and so, so our kind of our mantra is, you know, we're unashamed about sexual addiction, um, which we're, we're unashamed. We're not afraid to talk about it. Um, and to be honest about it and be real about it. And, um, that's why I chose to start my blog when I was not sober and couldn't say, well, now that I have five years of complete sobriety, I will now talk about my issues because they're far enough away that I look perfect. Um, I was like, no, I'm going to talk about it right now. Well, it's a mess, right? I mean, similar to your guys' message. And, uh, and unafraid to come into Christ for healing, just being able to be really raw about what really works and what really changes lives. And um, so my initial goal was to just record men's stories, which is still kind of the main thing we do. So I have a whole bunch of different men's stories. They have different backgrounds. Some got divorced. Some stayed married. Um, you know, some uh, did tons of therapy, some didn't really do any therapy, and, well, and it was all in their church, just all these different men's stories. And, and now when people come up and talk to me and they're like, hey, this is, and they start to tell me their story, I just refer them to whatever story on my podcast is the, is the same as theirs. So if someone come up and talk to me and they'll go, it's like this for me. And I'll say, well, you need to listen to Mac and Melissa's story because it was like that for them. You know, or someone will come oh, in and say, it's like this for me. So, yeah. I have a question. I know you are male focused. Do you ever? Mm-hmm. I mean, I I have found personally that it seems more common for men to be able to admit that they have a pornography addiction or a sexual addiction, but for women to do it, it it's still a very taboo topic in recovery. Oh, major. Not, it's like it's it's just a denied addiction, and. Mm-hmm. It seems like love addiction, like love addiction is very common for women, mm-hmm. and that's okay to talk mm-hmm. about, but if it gets mm-hmm. down to the, the sexual addiction part of it, and not just sleeping with men, but the masturbation part, the pornography part, it's very hindered from a woman's mm-hmm. standpoint. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, just talking about the shame that comes with that, I remember the first time that I talked to my sponsor about my issue with masturbation and pornography and just that first step that it took and the look of like oh wow like it was just not real like right and then there was a softening and there was you know openness about it but i find that there is still a lot of denial in women Ooh, about it yeah it's so big well ever, and, yeah Keep going, sorry. Do you ever touch on the woman side of it, or are you guys mainly male-focused, or do you have resources that um, you're aware of that do discuss the women's side of things? Yeah, so I, I would tell you all the, all the resources that we talk about and that I have on our resources page and that we bring up um, would work for women too. 
Um, awesome. And so, and so um, you know, like I got all of my treatment at, at a clinic called Lifestar. Um, they would totally treat women with sexual addiction. So you could contact them and they would help you. And so, um, you know, I'll tell people who tell me they're looking for a therapist, you know, the designation, one that I think is critical is, is CSAT, C-S-A-T, so Certified Sex Addiction Therapist. And you can find those all over the U.S. And so wherever you are, you can male or female. I, I think the thing that's really hard is men in our society are, you are sexual. So when that gets deviated, it's not a surprise, right? It's like, well, men right. love beer, money, violence, and sex. So yeah, this right. is obvious, you know, right. where with women, you have two options, right? Either sexuality shamed, right? We deal with that a lot in Mormon culture that it's like bad, 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 bad. And then you get married yeah. and it's like, it's okay. Yeah. And it's, and it's like yeah. for these women, it's like, what? Like, uh, yeah. this was terrible and now it's cool. Like, what do we do? So you, you either have that, like you either need to be a nun and that's acceptable. You're a respectable woman. Um, or you're, you're a slut, right? You're a hoe. You're all, all right. these negative. And, and like, there's no in between. Right. And we have some women who go, cool, right? I'll be, you know, whether that's Beyonce or Rihanna or you know, there's these really powerful women that'll go, sweet, sex sells and I'll use it. Sure. Right. I'll be that. Right. Sure. And then, so, so you have all these mixed messages with women and, and like, if you look at my life, there's a lot of sexual trauma in my family to be clinical about it. So it's not a surprise that I have sexual addiction and that I'm not addicted to cocaine. And so statistically, it's reported that 25% of women in the U.S., are molested, raped, sexually abused in some manner um, before age 25 or 18, depending on which study you look at. So those are the reported ones. Those are the ones right. that get reported to police. So I'll let you on a secret. For every one of those, there's another 5, 10 that didn't get reported. And so, you know, you have this culture that tells women you're one extreme or the other, both of which are bad when you get all the way over there. Um, and you have all of this you know, frankly, abuse sexually that's happened to women and they don't have anywhere to put that. And so it's like, good luck, you know? <laughs> so, well, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a big problem. Damaged good. The guy is a stud and the girl is damaged good. Yeah. Oh, and the, and the shame and the shame that comes with that. People don't understand that, right? They would think, um, I, we see this a lot with all the college football stuff. You see it in the news and they go, well, if that girl, got raped by that football player, well, why doesn't she just go to people and take about, talk about it? And what I would tell right. them is you don't understand shame. When that experience happened, he just took a, a, a dumpster truck of shame and dumped it on her. It's right. very hard for victims to come forward and, and, um, and talk about things. And, and so, you know, they get shamed to death and then, yeah, and then the addiction happens, right? They have nowhere to put any of this. So the masturbation happens or the porn, and then they're struggling with this, and then they're in a society where it's like you can't talk about it. So it's a huge issue. I don't, I don't hold it. Uh, I don't do a ton of stuff on Unashamed Unafraid about it because I don't feel like I'm the right voice for that. And so right. I, I would, I'm very critical about my content because I feel like a lot of people can just say a lot of things. <laughs> so I'm like, right. I'm only going to say stuff that I know is super true and full of hope and really helps people. And so I, I haven't, you know, done anything. I've only been approached once um, by a woman who uh, wrote a book about sharing her story. Um, I don't really feel like she found any recovery and isn't really down with Jesus. So I chose not to share her story 
Um, good person. Just I think she's still figuring some stuff out. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 a big deal. It's a big deal. Well, and and talking about the shame, and I know I've totally gotten off our question. No, Sorry about okay. that. But I was listening to the betrayal trauma episode mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you did with is it Dorothy? Is that who was on that yep. phone with you? Yep. And she was talking about. Um, how sexual addiction is just a symptom of the shame. Yeah. Right? In that yep. whole conversation, I thought, can you expand on that and, and what that looks like? Because I found that incredibly, incredibly home-hitting. Yeah. Is that Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just made it up. Here's the great thing. We're on the Internet, and as soon as you put it on the Internet, it's true. So, Stephen, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> You know, it's done. It's done. Yeah. No. So. So. Yeah. It's easy to understand. So addiction, right? We all know what that is. And then you can put addiction in two categories. So you have substance addiction. We all know what that is, right? Cocaine, alcohol, heroin, right? And then you have process addiction, gambling, um, sexual addiction. Um, right? Those are gaming, right? Everyone knows gaming is an addiction, but it's not a substance, right? It's not, you're not putting something in your body. And so process, a lot of the research shows that process addiction and substance addiction uh, function the same. So it's just, it's just a different drug of choice if you can think about it that way. Um, yeah. And so, so that helps people. When I put that out there, it kind of helps bridge the gap because they're like, oh, okay, so what I heard from Alcoholics Anonymous is true for the sex guys. And it's like, yep, super yep. true still. Yeah. Um, and so the other thing that people want, right, is, um, and if you haven't listened to this, this is a total listen to it, uh, YouTube video, it's a TED Talk, everything that you think you know about addiction is wrong. It's by a guy, Johan Hari. So he wrote a mm -hmm. book. Um, talking about how the war on drugs, um, which is the 1980s when kind of the government decided to have this war on drugs in the U.S. Um, to really punish people and blah, blah, blah. So his whole book's on that. Um, but he did one chapter talking about addiction, and that's what the TED Talk is about. And it's gone viral and the whole thing. And, and what he, he talks about how the opposite addiction is not sobriety. The opposite is connection. So yeah. I'll get parents or people who want to say, well, you, you chose addiction, you know, you saw porn and then you got addicted to porn. And the example he uses is when you, do, when you do morphine in the hospital, it's like super pure heroin. So we have all these people who are shooting up heroin all the time, and they're not heroin addicts. Another good example of the connection part he uses is Vietnam. In Vietnam, tons of soldiers, tons of them were doing heroin over in Vietnam. So there's this real concern they're all going to come back to the U.S. and they're all going to be addicts, right? Well, it turns out only like 5% of them were. Well, in Vietnam, you're not emotionally connected, right? So it's scary, right. so you choose addiction to cope. Well, they come back home and they've got family and they're not at war anymore, and so a lot of them didn't need addiction. And so that's, that's how I would kind of expand on what Dorothy said. It's, it's a symptom. Addiction is a symptom. Because I was neglected as a kid, and I didn't feel worthy of love, and I didn't have a relationship with God, I was in a lot of pain. And so the adversary said, oh, here's something to heal that pain. And addiction works. It just costs you everything. That's the part the adversary doesn't tell you. Right. <laughs> so it works. Addiction totally works. Um, it destroys your whole life, but it works. In the moment, it will, it will absolutely numb out that pain, 100%. It will. 
um, it'll numb you out to everything else too. It'll ruin your life. But um, okay. see, so yeah, it's a it only symptom. Works for that, it only works for that moment, though. Mm-hmm. That moment mm-hmm. will pass, and all of that oh, yeah. shame and everything will come flooding back. Well, and I, I think, Stephen, this is something I heard from you. Is, you know, no problem that a little bit of addiction won't make worse, which yep. I just love. <laughs> yep. I've been using so, that a lot. <laughs> yep. Yep. Add, add addiction to it, and you know, you got a struggling marriage. Add some addiction, you'll torch it. You know, yep. struggle having confidence in your career. Choose some addiction. That'll make it harder. Um, you know, struggle with depression. Add addiction. You'll be more depressed. So. Um, but, you know, the adversary is a good salesman, right? There's a reason to call it temptation. Yep, completely. And I was searching. We're, I know we're wrapping it up. I was searching for a, sh- a post that I saw shared a couple times, and it was basically if, you know, you knew you were going to get addicted, why did you do that drug for the first time? Right. And it mm-hmm. grates my nerves, grates, grates, grates my nerves every time that I see it because, Addiction, like you said, has nothing to do with the drug or the drink or the porn or whatever it is. Those are all symptoms of the underlying hurt, shame that a person has experienced. So if you want to fix the addiction problem, you fix the underlying true heart issues, not yep. the drugs away. Right. And so yep. I feel and the, I get it. Yeah. And the example I like to use with people, because I'll have this conversation with people where they just don't get it, right? Um, They're like, like my sister called me right after I came out with everything. She's like, what the hell is wrong with you? She's like, don't. And she lifts up all the important things in my life and how choosing addiction was contrary to everything I believed and believing in God and caring about my wife and family. And so she's like, why would you choose that? And from the outside, that looks like a very, like, duh, why would you choose addiction, right? Um, and I, I like, uh, the example in the movie crash. So, and I don't know if anyone's seen that. So the movie crash, it's a big racially charged, all about racism. And the example that there's this white cop and he, and he does some really inappropriate things to this black couple that they pull over and the young officers with him wants to get removed from him and judges him. And, and he sees him back at the station as he's switching to be his own police car and not have to be with this guy who's all offended by, um, and the guy grabs him and he says, just wait till you've been out here a little bit longer. You know, kind of challenging him like, oh, you don't think you're racist? Just wait till you've been out here a little longer. And towards the end of the movie, um, he ends up shooting a young black kid purely out of racial fear. And so what I like to say to people is, yeah, sexual temptation may not be an issue for you, right? But you're overweight. You're way overweight. And that's an addiction. I know you don't want to admit it, but it is. So why don't you just quit eating and exercise your brains out? Sounds easy to me. I'm thin. I work out. I don't eat crap. So why don't you pray, read God's word, and quit overeating? Fatty, right? Let's have some shame in there for fun, right? And, and, And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, that's super hard for me. That's, 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 I can't really deal with that. And I said, welcome to addiction. So when someone says to me, well, why don't you just quit viewing porn? And I go, you know, I thought that before, actually. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, idea. it's tough. It's tough. And so, when, you know, when you're standing by the oasis, it's, in, it's easy to look at people out in the desert and go, man, I would never act like that. And it's like, well, but when you're dying of thirst out in the desert, 
you might be surprised what you do. And that's what the yeah. pain is, right? That underlying pain. It's like when you're in so much pain that you're suicidal, depressed, it makes you compromise your volume system to find peace. You, you fall for those tricks. You fall for addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Every time. Well, this has been uh, too short uh, for us to try to fit in. So we're going to have to do this again another time, Stephen. But until then, where can people find your stuff? So we just, um, I just got it out on everywhere. So anywhere that you look for podcasts, we're there, Stitcher, Google, iTunes, um, Spotify. So we, we're just getting everything else out. Or you can go to unashamedunafraid.com and find us there. Outstanding. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for pushing record that very first time and giving uh, hope. I love when I'm feeling bad or feeling ashamed of something, I just always think, wait a minute, Stephen's got unashamed, unafraid. I don't have to do this. I don't have to be ashamed. And for me, I take it almost militantly, like, suck it. I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm not going to be afraid. You can't do that to me anymore. Not going to go for that. And um, it's really given me a lot of hope. So I appreciate it. Love what you're doing. And uh, can't wait to do this again. Well, thanks, Adal. I, I love what you guys are doing. You're the same message in a much broader way. So uh, I, I love your guys' show so far and, um, you know, excited for the future episodes. And um, just thanks for having me on. It's been awesome. Absolutely. Thanks a bunch. We'll see you next time. Uh, don't forget, if you need to email us, you can email bikerchick at messituppodcast.com or bowtieguy at messituppodcast.com. Or if you've got a great story or want to suggest a song of the week or a word of the week, info at messituppodcast.com, and we will see you next time. Thanks for checking out the Mess It Up podcast. If you've got any questions or feedback, please email info at messituppodcast.com. Don't forget to share with your friends, and we'll see you next time we mess it up. Mess It Up.